Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. In today's world, chaos is the only certainty. Over the last several years, we have witnessed the impossible occur in global events. The need for families and individuals to not only survive, but to thrive is now greater than ever. Experts the world over have emphasized the importance of generating additional forms of income. In the technologically advanced world we live in today, what if there was a way that we can use technology-powered AI where we can have algorithms do the work for you? Well, thanks to Algo Factory, that is exactly what we did. We teach you not only to leverage the market and carve out profits in the chaos, but we show you how to have a better quality of life by creating your own custom algorithm that trades on your behalf 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All the while, you can continue with your day-to-day -day responsibilities, checking in when needed on your trades that is working for you. Many clients of Algo Factory have been able to fund their savings, go on dream vacations, and even quit their nine to five jobs. They have created more time for themselves and more time for their families, all through the power of advanced AI and their personal custom algorithm, Algo Factory. Trade your job, upgrade your life. together after Velas and I were both on vacation so this is our first show back Velas, welcome back buddy how are you I'm good how are you doing my friend good man I mean we were gone and next you know it's alien invasion this that and the other and like my right God. dogs and cats living <laughs> together pandemonium cats. pandemonium where do you want to begin sir there's so much going on there is so much going on, and I have quite a bit for all of you today, so thank you as always for joining us, and, and we do appreciate all of you in our in our audience. You're the reason why we're here. Uh, JB Sigma, by the way, you said you saw breaking CNN surpasses uh, Fox News in the ratings, so then they're wow. both at the bottom of the table, because uh, they both have plummeted. Um, we got a lot to cover today, folks. Uh, let me jump into it. Um as always, remember, we are on Discord. There's a lot going on on Discord. We have memes on Discord. We have humor on Discord. Uh... <laughs> yes, Bill, I will work on my tithing. Um, 
So I want to start first with uh, Lyndon LaRouche, uh, of which Harley Schlanger is part of the LaRouche organization. Harley often follows uh, me at noon on, on Fridays. Um, I grew up watching uh, Lyndon LaRouche uh, interviews and paid time slots he had on U.S. television back in the 1980s. And recently, I don't know why, but I found myself coming across some of the, the recorded uh, videos and things that he produced during those years. And I got to tell you, it's, wow. <laughs> uh, some cold chills went through my system because it's like when I first saw those, it was in the late 1980s. And then viewing them now in 2023 and the things LaRouche was talking about, it's it's frightening how how dialed in he was on a number of things. Wow, what a um, trust. Yeah, and one of the things that LaRouche covered a lot in those years, I mean, think about it, folks. I mean, granted, it was 11 o'clock at night on whichever network was covering one of his paid broadcasts until they yanked him off the air. But um, one of the things he talked about a lot in those years was Henry Kissinger. Uh, and think about it, if you will. I mean, the guy was saying on national U.S. television as well as in Canada that Kissinger was a Soviet intelligence agent. And he wasn't alone in saying that because by the 1990s, there were some books coming out providing more detail about those accusations. Now, in our contemporary time, and due to uh, quite a bit of research by a number of folks, including, you know, people like Matthew Arad, um, we can see more accurately those events for what they were, that Kissinger was in fact being managed or was a key part of the London Corporation with planning coming out of the Tavistock Institute. Uh, along with some support from parallel organizations, which we all know in today's world quite well, like the World Economic Forum, Council on Foreign Relations, Bilderberger Group, and the list goes on. But you have to remember, LaRouche was talking about those organizations in the late 1980s where, candidly, the only time I ever even heard those names mentioned was whispered by my Eastern European relatives, you know, <laughs> standing in a room where they were sure there were no windows because even they were so paranoid about even mentioning those those organizations and what they do. Now, the truth of it is Kissinger was most probably supporting the Soviet Union on a certain level, and Soviet intelligence probably thought he was an intelligence asset of theirs. But in fact, like Cecil Rhodes, Soviet intelligence was being played as Kissinger was a double or triple agent, depending on the situation. He was working for the globalist community and their goals, not superpower dynamics. LaRouche was one of the few people who ever stated publicly it was Dick Nixon's attempts, former President Nixon, to remove Kissinger from his presidential administration was one of the real reasons for forcing Nixon out of the White House and installing Gerald Ford as president specifically, rather than Spiro Agnew. Some of you might recall that Spiro Agnew was the vice president for Nixon until shortly uh, before Nixon left office and suddenly Gerald Ford pops up out of nowhere. So if you have a chance, go take a look at those videos. There's there's some interesting stuff in there. A number of them are on YouTube. Um, and it's no wonder, given what he was saying back then and what we know now, uh, why LaRouche was so publicly attacked, why he was sued in the courts. Uh, frankly, I'm shocked he wasn't killed, but that probably would have given him too much credibility. Tom again. Uh, I do reference Tom Luongo a lot, but I got to say his content is excellent. Um, recall on one of the prior shows where I said any global analysis at this point in time is going to be shifting uh, because of what we've been living through the last 10 years. Uh, as of today's program uh, on the 16th, um, there's a lot less players left on the big gambling table that is the global economy and things are going to get dicey. Uh, Tom said something the week of the 29th of May 
that was picked up by Zero Hedge later that week. Uh, with the successful election of Erdogan in Turkey, uh, that event marks one of several cover, color revolutions who have failed. Uh, think about how many governments the Davos or globalist crowd tried to shape or overturn who have survived. That's saying something about the weaknesses in strategy and execution by our friends in the globalist universe. Also, he believes there may be a lull in interest rates in June. Uh, of course, the minute commodity prices start rising, so will rates, especially fuel prices. Uh, that was confirmed on Wednesday of this week by statements from the Fed leadership. Uh, about two weeks or so after Tom made his uh, projections or comments. Tom and others are warning uh, also to watch the gasoline and diesel prices this summer. Things could get a little crazy. He continues in his belief Jerome Powell is uh, outmaneuvering Janet Yellen and Christine Lagarde and the Davos globalist community for now. He also raises the frightening but necessary to say truth of our situation. Things like uh, these parties had to make Ukraine launch an offensive right now, regardless of the cost in Ukrainian or mercenary lives. They had to send the right message to other players, even within the globalist community or Davos community, however you want to define them. A message by the globalists to Russia and the rest of the world that they're willing to push their goals regardless of the cost. If they cannot achieve their aims economically, they'll do it via global conflict. So stay tuned to Tom's work. You can find him on Patreon as well as periodically here on Rogue. And, uh, of course, keep an eye on everyone's favorite powder keg at this point, which is Taiwan. Loaves and fishes. The Force is strong with this one. Uh, it's a favorite line from the Star Wars movies. Uh, the situation in which we find ourselves, including in present time space aliens versus cross-border aliens, is no less an ocean of distractions. Uh, it's also an ocean of misdirection and psychological operations. So why am I calling this piece fish, fish and loaves uh, uh, and fishes? Donald Trump is complex on many levels, and there's no single answer to him and the circumstances around him. Uh, that said, did any of you catch the symbolism following Donald's court appearance this week? Uh, he bought everyone lunch at Versailles in Miami. Uh, first, for those of you who may not be aware, Versailles is a lovely restaurant. Uh, near Calle Ocho in Miami. I've had lunch and dinner there many times, and the food is excellent. Uh, like most places in Miami, I recommend the plantain. Um, I've been to that restaurant in the past because I'm friends with a number of people in the Cuban-American community, and Versailles is ground zero ever, of every major decision in Miami, uh, and at times, South America, especially when the restaurant is not open to the public and folks are sitting in the private room in back. I don't mean the the main room in the back. I mean the one that you don't see. Um, so that's point one. Versailles is a very critical restaurant to the goings-on in South Florida, just as Shelley's back room is uh, near K Street in Washington, D.C. By stopping off there and bringing the press with him, Donald is communicating several things, in my opinion. One of those being uh, those in the know are aware of the symbolism of Versailles to the Cuban community. Another being it's a place where you go to get things done with the right people. Yet another is Florida is DeSantis' base of operations, but DeSantis is heavily beholden to South Florida, and Trump knows it. The Donald is communicating many things to key people and organizations by making such a notable stop. The second big piece of this is an even deeper psyop, and I'm not going to mince words, and I'll say it bluntly. Donald Trump that day had appeared in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin in the form of the Department of Justice, let's even say Pontius Pilate. He'd walked out unscathed from a certain point of view, uh, in that he wasn't handcuffed that day, nor any mugshots taken. What does he do? Well, the force is strong with him. In a powerful Christ analogy, he dispenses loaves and fishes at Versailles in the heart of the Cuban community by buying everyone lunch. 
insert me deeply inhaling a cigarette like Matthew McConaughey as this story unfolds. Cannot take you seriously. I really want to do a whole show on the alien topic. I could probably at this point do that one without even prepared notes. Uh, I mean, both the real unexplained stuff and the psychological operations content, including some nice people I know at the Air Force Office of Special Investigations who nine times out of ten always appear at one of these sightings, landings, or whatever. The fact they were nowhere to be seen in the Las Vegas episode says, says volumes to me. However, as I've said many times about the computer bulletin boards from the mid-1990s, my famous comment about, and I quote, they're going to use an alien invasion to create a one-world government, unquote, I'll dovetail off V's commentary from Tuesday. Uh, the alien topic has had billions, billions of dollars spent on it to keep it in the public's mind globally, especially in the United States. So that said, in my humble opinion, it's not an option that purveyors of disinformation should ever use lightly. A lot of money was spent on that weapon, that resource, and it should not be used without care. Therefore, what would ever make them pull that one off the shelf of ways to distract the public? Well, they would need to be really nervous about something, something we may have missed or we saw it, but it didn't register in our heads. Kind of like the famous video a number of you have seen where the people are playing basketball and the gorilla walks through, but if you're not paying attention, you don't even see the gorilla. You have to remember there is no Hunter Biden or Biden family per issue or per se right now. If you want to know how deep the corruption goes with the Biden family, and they are mafia, go get Ryan Dawson's poster board from his website. That poster will show you every family member, every bank, every main laundering angle, etc. It's bigger than them, though. Take that three-by-three-foot poster of the Biden family, and now imagine you're looking at a poster the size of an IMAX screen, where the content from Ryan Dawson's uh, poster about the Bidens is just a small portion of what's on the screen. To me, the concern in certain circles is the whole global structure and corruption who could be exposed by digging into the Bidens. It's not about them, it's about the bigger picture. Factor in the cracks in the future digital economy, the detail coming up about the coof, and yes, we're going to pull the alien card. But don't worry, they've got way more things they can drop on us on the alien topic than you can even imagine. Repeat after me, the White House lawn. Ordinary. Never forget a guy who was famous for hanging around English aristocracy and other global elites, none other than Aleister Crowley, who once said, and I quote, ordinary morality is for ordinary people, unquote. This is how our globalist elites think. It's amazing what echo chambers can do. We'll revisit that topic a little later today about some things concerning Mike Moore. Film at 11. So folks, where are all those Hunter Biden photos appearing that have been all over Twitter and related sites? Uh, That's a good question. Well, they're coming off the Marco Polo website. And who told you about the Marco Polo website? Vellis did on the 23rd you. of December last year. Yes, you did. <laughs> That's a six-month head start, folks, that Rogue News gave you. <laughs> to quote some friends of mine from New Jersey, maybe you folks want to go over there and take a look at that stuff. Uh, however, perhaps not. Twitter had several postings saying they would not allow any links to the website because it is, say it with me, child porn. Why is it child porn? Because some of the nude girls with Hunter in those photos are under the age of 18. Let that sink in for a minute. The girls in the photos on his laptop with him in the photo are underage prostitutes, if not his own family members. That cricket, that cricket sound you're hearing is the Justice Department doing nothing. There's a ton on that uh, Marco Polo website other than Hunt, Hunter's uh, film clips and other things off his computer uh, related to a couple of different topics. 
Also, remember what I've said on other shows. If you know how to research these things, keyword carefully, a la a VPN and other browsers out of other countries, you can discover a lot. Remember, I got a copy of the unredacted Epstein phone book because it was posted on a legal website in the Caribbean because that Caribbean nation was investigating Epstein in a criminal case and posted the data. Ryan Dawson recently said something interesting on topics like this. He pointed out, did anyone bother to read the actual testimony, which is public domain, of Virginia Guthrie? She stated in her court testimony the name of Epstein's clients. All this crap about the client list, the client list, the client list. A cup of coffee and a website, and you can put that list together yourself. Yet also to Ryan's point, many people on those lists are people you've never heard of. They're powerful and they're wealthy, but they're very good at staying out of the press. The media wants titillation and exciting stuff to make their advertisers happy. They're not going to talk to you about people you've never heard about. That would require them to explain to you who those people are, and that could get messy. Only the topics they think will cause you to react and come back for more. Recall also what I said on a prior show about right-wing versus left-wing heroin needles. It's still heroin. And to quote uh, a favorite band of mine, Queensryche, the needle always lies. Discord conversation. I was chatting with Cruising Through Time on Discord about Jeff Epstein a week or two ago, and I'll share with all of you. Uh, it's sitting out on the Vellus page, but I wanted to bring it up on today's show. Uh, we were talking about Jeff Epstein and, and various things that are going on relative to that topic, and I had a rather lengthy reply to something we were talking about, and I wanted to share that reply with all of you here. What I posted on the page was, as I said, and I quote, I'm quoting myself, something caught my attention this morning regarding a comment by Epstein to none other than Dr. Nasser, the disgraced University of Michigan doctor uh, to that school and our U.S. Olympic gymnasts. Uh, this is the bit in the media about Epstein evidently wrote Nasser a letter. I had to adjust my foil hat because a plethora of things popped into my head, followed by a realization or a possible realization. First, why in the heck would he write a letter to Nasser? Second, was Nasser, and this argument can be made, somehow involved in this network of Epstein, Jean-Luc Brunel, the Nexium cult, etc.? Was Epstein communicating to a fellow traveler in this whole mess? Third, my favorite was by sending a physical letter that, rather than a phone call or an email, Epstein knew it might actually get through to the person he was trying to communicate to. That's as old as World War II Allied soldiers sending letters home from Geo, uh, German POW camps loaded with hidden messages about things the inmates saw, like German train schedules, aircraft, or military equipment near their camps. The final realization being he's not the first powerful person where at a critical point in time they knew exactly when the road turned in the wrong direction. Specifically, Epstein's comment to the effect of, and I'm quoting, I was a coward, unquote. That's a powerful statement for someone like him. I've also read the book by the attorney who went up against Epstein, and I also believe that book was part of the efforts to deflect the truth, but that's another topic. Um, there was a lot of Epstein's psychology in that book. Sociopath or not, he was a very smart guy. He really knew how to figure out people's weaknesses and exploit them. So for a guy like that to call himself a coward is multifaceted. Here's the real mind scrambler that comes to mind, though. Was Epstein actually never into kids? Let me say that again. Was he originally not attracted to young girls, or did that come later? Was a potential facet of an unknown part of this sordid tale that Epstein originally wasn't into young girls, but the people his handlers wanted him to exploit were interested in young girls, so therefore Epstein had to be in order to do his job? Truly, only God knows. 
Robert Hansen. Hansen, uh, as you may recall, uh, died last week. He was the uh, senior FBI leader that was busted for spying for the Soviet Union. Mike Moore of True Pundit was still operating his when Mike Moore of True Pundit was still operating his private intelligence firm. He often worked with the FBI, and one of the folks he worked with was Robert Hansen. Moore this week was discussing that he acknowledges that the guy was nailed for spying for the Soviet Union. And then he went on to say that when he worked with Hansen, he said he was always fair, but very tough to work with in the sense that he expected results. Robert Hansen was always pushing Mike Moore and his, his intelligence firm to produce more and more content along with improved quality for the FBI, which of course Moore joked he was more than happy to do because he billed the FBI for the work they did. But because Moore had a relationship with Hansen, about 10 years or so ago, Mike Moore tried to interview him as a member of the press, which technically Mike Moore is. Hansen said in writing he was willing to meet with Moore, but the Bureau of Prisons told Moore, absolutely not under no conditions. So why did Moore want to interview him? Well, this is where it gets kind of interesting. Typical of Mike Moore, he had discovered there's a lot of inconsistencies about the FBI's investigation into Hansen. A lot of things were classified or weird explanations were given about Hansen's activities and the list goes on. You could say the same reason for these strange things is that the FBI is trying to protect national security or similar. Perhaps the easy one, the agency should have caught Hansen much earlier and there was far greater incompetence in the, in the agency than was known. Mike Moore has said repeatedly, every time they put somebody in Supermax, it's to prevent anyone from interviewing the people incarcerated there. Lastly, Moore felt Hansen would be limited in telling him anything for an equally interesting reason. Even though Robert Hansen was convicted of spying for a foreign country, his family was able to receive his agency benefits. That's an excellent way to keep him quiet, as he did care about his family. Moore believes Hansen may have been a fall guy for either A, the real spy they couldn't find, B, a bigger network they couldn't allow to be publicly known, or C, something even more convoluted requiring keeping Hansen locked up in a place where no one can reach him. To quote Bill Gates, it doesn't matter, I guess, because he's dead now. Speaking of dead now, he was not at Supermax when he died, but Ted Kaczynski died this week as well. That's a lot of people who know stuff who died in succession. Also, did you catch it on the back page of the news? Kaczynski killed himself? Really, after all these years, and now Ted Kaczynski kills himself. I don't know. The BS factor is high with that one. Mike Moore and True Pundit's Value. Of the many reasons why I like Mike Moore and his work is this realization, and I've shared with all of you previously, sometimes people take fire from the government or powerful people or groups for reasons they don't even realize. This includes them uh, meeting their maker much earlier than they may have anticipated, like Danny Casolaro or Gary DeVore. Recall my comments about if you tried to write a book about Roswell back in the 60s, write all you want, but don't you dare bring up Oak Ridge, Tennessee and MIT. Many folks out there in the alternative community have said things embarrassing to or would draw the ire of the globalist Davos crowd. Two people, though, really took heat and one ended up being mentioned on the floor of the House of Representatives. The latter was Mike Moore and the former is the Amazing Polly. What topic did these two folks cover heavily with deep research, and in the case of Mike, internal documents from agencies like the CDC and the FDA? Well, it's the COOF. When the world benefits the globalists by arms trafficking, massive money laundering, narcotics trafficking, and human trafficking, and a host of everything else, what would get the globalists so jacked up? In my opinion, there's several things. First, and to reference Matthew Arrett's work, it's the ideology of the people we're talking about. At the center of their beliefs is eugenics and social engineering because of their elitist views. Second, the items I mentioned, like money laundering and the conflict in Ukraine and human trafficking, are symptoms. 
They're not the disease. The disease is their central premise that they will do to humanity what they will. Please recall earlier my comment about Aleister Crowley. Third, Moore and the Amazing Polly didn't just cover that topic. They independently hit the topic from different angles regarding pharmaceutical firms' relationships with big financial firms, global non-governmental organizations or NGOs who were involved, internal agency documentation on what those agencies really knew and when they knew it, and the list goes on. In Moore's case, he went even further. He tied together the historical patterns of this not being an isolated event, but part of a very long pattern. I've always felt you can tell pieces of the global picture as standalone things or standalone elements, but when you demonstrate the fabric of their beliefs from which all things stem, or there's a global effort at eugenics, well, I hope you have good property insurance. Given what happened to Moore after the FBI went after him and his starting his True Pundit program, I do have to say Mike Moore's got to be one of the bravest folks I know out there, and for that matter, so is Polly. The ESG topic. Blacklisted News on June 11th ran an interesting article on the ESG topic. They reposted an original article by a guy named Brandon Smith, who operates a blog called alt-market.us. The main takeaway of the article was several data points, and I know many of you have been wondering about them. Namely, so many companies are losing billions of dollars, in stock value at least, with very public woke programs usually settling on kids and alternative lifestyles. Plus, these boycotts of those firms have taken on a life of their own, now seeking out any other major corporations, like Kohl's stores, for example, uh, following in the footsteps of Target, Budweiser, and others. I point out Kohl's because they were marketing clothing for your four-month-old child who is in the process of transitioning. You heard me right, four months old. For some people, this whole thing is an example of tone-deaf executives beholden to their ideologies. My initial opinion was these companies had to have received promises from private equity such as BlackRock that their losses will be covered. Brandon Smith had a different angle, and I found it interesting. He believes many of these companies are staying on this course because they know the long-term plan. Please recall what I said a moment ago uh, regarding the long-term ideologies in the Davos crowd. Brandon's position is when they completely reset the global economy, lines of credit will only be available from a handful of remaining banks and private equity firms. Those financial institutions are pushing this ideology as part of their goals in that future reordered economy. According to what Brandon believed, when the smoke clears, only firms with a positive ESG score can continue to receive lines of credit. Brandon's recommendations, along with many others out there, is to keep the heat on these firms through boycotts and drawing attention to which organizations provide capital to those companies. Case in point, just this week, Starbucks pulled their uh, alternative lifestyle content from their stores, much to the chagrin of a very angry MSNBC. The USS Liberty. This story's back in the news again on Blacklisted News and because the anniversary of that event was June 8th. The USS Liberty was an intelligence vessel who was off the coast of the Sinai in 1967, monitoring battles between Egyptian and Israeli forces when they came under an attack, an attack carried out by fighters from Israel and motor uh, patrol boats. There's a ton of detail about this event in history, and I'm only going to cover a few pieces today. Both from the blacklisted news article I posted on Discord on Sunday the 11th and a number of news sources that have come out, We need to talk about this anniversary. Also, let this be a reminder of the value of continuous persistence in research by amateur researchers rather than relying on official sources. The first item is is that there were former U.S. Navy pilots who were actually flying some of the Israeli jets who carried out the attack. 
That sort of thing has occurred before in the murky areas of history we cannot cover today, although I will cite one example, which was during the original plan for the Bay of Pigs, U.S. pilots were supposed to be flying aircraft marked as Cuban military to support the landings and make the attack look as though it was a popular uprising. Second, it's been debated that the markings on the jets were painted over or covered up to avoid identifying their country of origin. That one is still much debated. Third, on two separate occasions, a U.S. admiral attempted to dispatch support to the ship and was stopped. The person who rejected any attempt to aid the USS Liberty was none other than the Secretary of Defense, James McNamara. You remember McNamara. He's the guy who not only increased U.S. involvement in Vietnam, but was then making U.S. policy decisions about leveraging for future troops America's less than bright citizens to go fight. I'm dead serious. Go research that one. He was a big fan of eugenics. McNamara felt that if all these people are getting killed in Vietnam, the United States could get rid of a lot of less desirable Americans by sending them to war. By the way, that third item, two separate occasions, there was an attempt to dispatch help. Does that sound familiar? Like Libya 50 months, or sorry, 50 years later when our embassy was overrun? There were two attempts by the military co-commands to send aid in 2012 to our embassy in Libya, and those orders were countermanded directly by the Pentagon. In fact, both of the commanders who issued those orders had their reputations destroyed in the media, and they were forced out of the military. Now, am I noting that solely because it's a similarity? I'm noting it for a very specific reason. When communication systems known for being excellent go down, like the DC phone lines during Kennedy's assassination in 63, or the Pentagon communication system during this attack on the Liberty in 67, the other oddities that occurred during the day Reagan was shot in 82, the other weird things that occurred in 1995 in Oklahoma City, or the 2012 attack on the U.S. Embassy in Libya. Something is usually up when these things happen. I remember vividly when I was thumbing through the pages of one of the first books I saw published about the USS Liberty in the 1990s and what might have actually occurred. I remember my feelings at the time in that bookstore regarding the idea that the United States and Israel had covered it up. Admittedly, my feelings were of denial. Uh, I felt there had to be another explanation to this tragic misunderstanding, and the list goes on. And in being completely honest with all of you, it took me years to come to terms with what really happened. On some other programs, I've laid out various layers of historical events where each layer is another form of truth, but not the whole truth. The example I used on that program was the Murrow Building in 1995. Regarding the USS Liberty, some of the layered um, new explanations are things such as Okay, Israel did attack the ship, but they wanted to prevent disclosure of human rights violations uh, in their operations in Egypt. Uh, Or, okay, certain loose cannons in Israel wanted to keep the United States unaware of their operations in the Sinai. Uh, They were well aware of the degree to which U.S. intelligence was penetrated by the Soviet Union. If the USS Liberty was reporting on those activities taking place in those battles, the Soviets would most probably have that detail within hours. So the decision was made to sink the ship. There's also a fourth item about this being that two U.S. submarines were in the area during the attack, and they filmed the attack on the Liberty via their periscopes. As you can imagine, uh, the crews were sworn to secrecy, and all the film was confiscated by whichever federal agencies you prefer. Those submarines were the USS Amberjack and the USS Andrew Jackson. The fifth item is, as we've seen with other historical psychological operations, there were various news stories floating around the international press. Regarding the Liberty, the storyline was that the Egyptian military had sunk a peaceful U.S. vessel. Of course, those stories all appeared in the foreign press sources before the attack had started. 
If you remember the movie JFK, think about Donald Sutherland's character being in the airport in New Zealand, reading newspaper stories about Kennedy's death and the proof of the assailant before anyone in the United States knew anything beyond there had been a shooting. Oh, and speaking of the Murrow Building in 95, the Justice Department received telephone call about the federal building being bombed hours before it had even occurred. Now, that's not wild speculation. That was a FOIA request from ABC Television on their news program 2020, back when they still used to do real reporting. There's a multitude of books and websites and related who've dug into the Liberty. What is the most impressive of the what-if scenarios? That being that the United States government and Israel wanted to sink the ship, blame it on Egypt, create a means for a U.S. invasion of Egypt, and if necessary, the entire Middle East to secure oil shipments, along with my personal favorite, by invading an ally of the Soviet Union, who was Egypt, draw out the Soviet Union into a war where a series of limited nuclear strikes on the Soviet Union would result in a peace agreement favorable to the United States. That last part about the Soviet Union, that's not an isolated narrative, everybody. That's one of the main narratives about what got John F. Kennedy so jacked up early in his administration. John F. Kennedy, prior to his presidency, was being debriefed about how dangerously strong the Soviet Union's nuclear assets were. As a result, he campaigned on a strong defense platform. The minute, though, he got into office, he was told by military and intelligence leaders the truth. And the truth was that the Soviet Union barely had any nuclear assets. They thought Kennedy would play ball because John F. Kennedy was the son of Joseph P. Kennedy. Joseph P. Kennedy did, did business with the Nazis. So why would John F. Kennedy not go along with the game? They wanted a winnable nuclear war, and that terrified Kennedy. Like most of these stories, it's all conjecture, and the situation around Kennedy in the years that followed is incredibly complicated. I'm noting it today because it demonstrates the linear thinking by the big think tank types and related about how they view the world. By the grace of God, the crew of the USS Liberty kept that ship from sinking and resulted in a global cover-up. There's even one more item on this story, which is that Israel actually had dispatched commandos to board and destroy the ship, but they believed a nearby U.S. aircraft carrier, the USS Saratoga, had already dispatched aid, so they turned back. The captain of the Liberty was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, but he's the only person that didn't receive that in a White House ceremony, but instead the Secretary of the Navy at an undisclosed location. Just call me Adam. A brief comment about Adam Schiff. Uh, there was a bit of drama this week about an attempt to censure him uh, in the House. Uh, he's a lawyer, and many of those folks in government are lawyers. So like any regular person, much less a bar-certified lawyer, uh, why don't you all submit a complaint to the Attorney Review Board in the state of California and get his license suspended? But of course, that would be something real and meaningful you could do rather than all this made-for-TV drama. So things just continue on along. Last item, take care of yourself, folks. Uh, I know I brought this up a couple times of late. Um, Russell Brand did a piece this week focusing on medical data that's come out indicating that 50% of men living in the West are considering suicide. That's a lot to unpack. And there are obviously several considerations about how that percentage was arrived at. What was the size of the sample population? What are the demographics, et cetera, et cetera. But Russell was not alone in that. Um, Frank, quite frankly, has talked about your mental and dietary health a lot the last few weeks. Mike Moore this week discussed finding meaningful life plans and similar on his Wednesday program, and the list goes on. As a result, I also feel a disturbance in the forest, or it's just a coincidence that so many folks have jumped on this topic, but I'll offer my thoughts as I often do. 
and I brought this up before Memorial Day, when and where you can, just turn it all off and take some long walks, go to the gym and just defuse from all of this. Uh, don't worry, the war will still be going on when you get back. <laughs> but uh, something near and dear to V as well, given given his academic background, try and tweak your diet. Uh, go hit a health food store, a nutrition store, make some adjustments uh, in that regard of your life. And uh, for me personally, I mean, I couldn't get through my day without glucosamine chondroitin for my joints. Uh, it's the price I paid for staying active most of my life, along with a number of other supplements. So take care of yourself physically, uh, in diet and spiritually. And if you need help, please speak to somebody. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to start with professional counseling, but just find somebody you can talk to. Um, and this is for men or women. Uh, and with deference to people of, of faith, uh, the creator is always listening and perhaps you'll want to start there. So my thanks to all of you. And with that, V, I yield the floor. Fellas, that was a great gambit that you covered. A lot of good stuff, man. Uh, very well done. Thank you, sir. Anything on, on your radar for this coming week? I mean, it's, it's a bit of a lull. Yeah, and we've... Invasion. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, the alien invasion. Um, yes, Modema, vitamin D. Um, there has been a lull, and I know I even uh, mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, where I said it's it's uh, well to quote from Babylon Five, uh, it's it's as though the universe. Uh, evidently, we shift off of LIBOR. Um, I'm hopping on a, a Patrick Ryan Zoom call tonight. That should be interesting. Nice. Um, but yeah, there's there's a number of things out there that we're, we appear to be just kind of waiting. I mean, the Ukrainians launched an offensive. It went nowhere. <laughs> Dude, um, 30,000 Ukrainazis, 30,000 Yukis were just wiped out, man. 30,000. Yeah, and I don't, you know, not to be indelicate, it's I don't know how the hell you sustain those losses. And there's no way, I, I said on a prior show, I mean, mercenaries may be mercenaries, but mercenaries are not stupid. They don't. No matter how much you pay them, they don't get involved in in uh, conflicts where where them getting killed is is a high probability. Right. Um, so, uh, and if you go to the right places, please see my my previous comment using a host of VPNs and similar. Uh, I was watching some videos of Russia's leveraging of these new. Um, I don't want to call them suicide drones, but but basically drones used as ordnance. Yeah, the kamikaze uh, drones. Yeah, where they were just um, nailing, you know, and, and I hate to say this, it's it's like the uh, analogy from the movie Forrest Gump where they salute uh, their commanding officer and, and he tells them, God, don't salute me. Uh, you know, there's there's Viet Cong that are out there, snipers that will take out an officer at a moment's notice. Um, and it's, it's another thing you'll see in the old war movies from World War II is this comment about... Uh, telling you know people out of basic training or what have you uh don't salute anybody in the in the uh, pacific theater of war because uh, you know the, the the japanese will shoot any officer they can find so in a in a parallel sense um these attacks that russia has been focusing from what i can tell uh they're hitting high high value targets Said another way, the minute those leopard tanks showed up on the battlefield, that was the first thing the Russians started nailing. Now, I know there's some commentary I've read from some people where they said, well, but if you'll notice in some of that film, not always, the crews were able to escape. And it's like, yeah, 
yeah, the same as an M1 tank. I mean, the 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 Leopards are are a great battlefield weapon. So is the M1 tank, and it was designed for for a greater probability of the crew surviving an attack. But the net of it is is, is the tank's out. It's gone. And the same thing with a number of the the U.S. vehicles that have been turned over, and then the other one. Uh, a lot of the uh, the Russians have been wearing down uh, the Ukrainian uh, radar units. Uh, and even Ukrainian government officials acknowledged this week that they're losing control of, I wouldn't say air supremacy, but their ability to defend themselves from, from air attack is getting weaker and weaker. <coughs> so somebody somewhere has got, and of course, you know, Tom Luongo has alluded to this, a number of European nations, both East and West, have been trying to get the Davos crowd. Because as I've often said, I mean, you can hate them, you can loathe them, but this is this is their chessboard, not us, as far as the globalists and the Davos crowd are concerned. So other people that are part of this game are like, look, we understand what your strategic goals are. We understand what your globalist goals are. But this shit with Ukraine's got to stop. Like, you've got to allow Zelensky to, to negotiate a deal. And yeah, the Russians are going are to sustain Crimea. There's probably going to be a Cold War on that border. And the United States will probably still get its two military bases or however many we're trying to build in Ukraine. But in the final analysis, it's like this thing is going to spill over into our borders and we're not going to stand stand for that. So it's a mess. Um, I, I wonder sometimes if that's the reason why they're trying to to jack up uh, Taiwan again. And of course, for, for all of you out there that saw my posting on Discord, you know, we can all breathe a sigh of relief because Bill Gates went to China this week to go oh, talk to... Oh, thank God. Right. We finally, we finally have the brain trust on the scene. Uh, Bill refuses to state why he's he's, probably he's meeting a head of state of a major country, <laughs> and everybody's just kind of like, "Oh yeah, uh, Bill Gates is in China." It's like, holy shit! If this was 1985, you'd have 24 by 7 coverage of this. Jack Smith, the head of General Motors, is in China meeting with its premier. Bill Gates, who's not a sitting executive of anything, he's just a rich guy with an attitude. Uh, is in China meeting with the premier of that country, and we're not allowed to know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably uh, setting up the chip deals uh, <laughs> after Taiwan falls. We, we're I have, I have some inside uh, some inside uh, uh, conversations here. Um, there's going to be a transfer of power in Taiwan, and the, there are already U.S. forces that are. Going to be instrumental in transferring that. It's it's going to be done. The and the way it's, and, and China doesn't have to do it militarily. I think I, I forgot who said it. All they got to do is change the law. They come in as cops, police officers, and then oh, it. like Hong Kong. Yeah, just like Hong Kong. Change the laws. You come in as the police, and then it's and then you just take it in. Taiwan belongs to China. Always has been. It's in Taiwan's constitution. It's not our fight. If we had any sort of brains, we should have what we should have done years ago, decades ago. Is, is extract as much of the intellectual property and know-how and manufacturing uh, capacity and how to build the foundries right out of TSMC and, and reshort it here in the United States. But, you know, don't worry, Intel's on it. Maybe in 15 years, we'll have a chip manufacturer that can make seven nanometer chips while the rest of the world moves on to two and one. Jesus Christ. We have get, a, uh... I'm not going to get started on that. I'm going to start ranting. We had well, your Tuesday show was was quite good. Uh, yeah, we have a we have a massive amount of military presence in Taiwan, which is worrisome, um, simply because <laughs> they become human shields, a la Iraq, nineteen ninety one. 
that would make for an interesting outcome if we found ourselves with with it won't be in the media but if u.s troops are boarding cargo planes and heading out of taiwan back to uh uh, Midway or another another Guam <laughs> or back to the continental United States. I mean, that would be what the third or fourth time, including Afghanistan, we've we've had to pack up and leave. Yeah, I've joked on this show. I don't mean it lightly in the slightest, folks. I mean, there was an excellent series of of uh, I wouldn't call them documentaries, but they were were uh, programs on like PBS with the authors of. Uh, the book Megatrends and other kind of popular uh, commentators at that time when America was trying to rebuild its its economics. And one of the comments that was made on one of these rebuilding America and what companies do we have that are doing well and how can we learn from that kind of thing. There was an interview where this this policy analyst who studied things in Detroit, in the auto industry said, uh, America has dominated the international auto industry by default since 1945 yep. and his comment was is you know europe was still was still walking through the the uh the bomb craters to get to the factory uh the united states had all newly uh developed factories for car production um but that by the time of the 1980s you know countries were learning how to produce better vehicles better products etc uh, up to or exceeding the quality of the united states and the united states got got complacent and so in a similar regard um the, the country has gotten kind of weak at a lot of stuff that, that we used to do well, but at least when it came to war, we were still pretty damn good at war. We were still pretty good at overthrowing countries and paying off people uh, a la um, uh, one of V and my favorite people, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, Perkins. Yep. Um, but it's like we can't even do war right anymore. And after having worked for years in the defense contracting industry, I, I don't need to tell all of you of the massive amounts of money being spent to just maintain, for lack of a better word, bureaucracy. Uh, I had once worked for a research and development organization that people would come to us if something uh, was was bad or we had a uh, uh, some actors, shall we say, in Iraq or Afghanistan who'd found a way to get past our countermeasures and were blowing up our kids in you know Humvees and stuff. Uh, we were one of the labs that were entrusted with finding quick solutions and ways to develop new countermeasures, not just, you know, armor, but other electronic means, other tactical means, et cetera. And we solved problems quickly and we spent a lot of money as a result of that, but the government certainly got a lot for its money, uh, through those research institutions and we got shut down. And one of the reasons why I was told we were shut down and why I went back into the commercial space was I was told, you just can't be doing this. You just can't be fixing problems quickly like this. You know, and I said something sarcastic to the person I was talking to, like, what, MITRE and RAND are the only people that get that kind of money? And, of course, the person looked at me and said, ah, but remember, RAND and MITRE just give you really good advice that no one can execute on. You guys were executing on it. You guys were doing work that was done quickly. And you were embarrassing major, large defense contractors who own Congress people. <laughs> that can't happen. So after many, many years of operation, we, we closed our doors and I went off to go do other things. But I certainly recall those elements of government who do get stuff done well and those who don't. And it's just, uh, I just received this morning an email from a friend of mine for an agency that will go nameless, but uh, it was the latest policy email 
from their leadership, I'm dead serious about making sure that you leverage all aspects of Microsoft Outlook for your email to make sure that all of your pronouns are properly displayed. That's right. All of it. Because it's all about your pronouns. Maybe, maybe, maybe Billy Boy's begging for some thorium technology. We'll see. Oh, yeah, right. For his nuclear power plant up, yeah. up in uh, Wyoming. Yeah. Now, I've got my, my eyes and ears open, and I've got some folks I'm talking to in the next couple of weeks. I don't anticipate anything earth-shattering. Um, like all of you, it's just going to be a function of, of monitoring what's, what's going on. Uh, I had some conversations with some people down south. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> a couple of months ago, and you know they have very highly paid uh, private research firms that work for them. I mean, they're incredibly wealthy people, and they have access to incredibly good data. And even they were struggling. It's just, it's like everybody's just looking around, going, "They're doing something." <laughs> I know they're doing something, but we can't even find the. Uh, so far, we can't even find the initial. Uh, what do you call it? Clues as to what that might be. But I think Tom on the whole, you know, has nailed it. Uh, we're going to get through the month of June. And, you know, the, the Fed has said they've got two. They said two. It may be more. We've got two more rate increases coming. But you have to remember this. This is a multifaceted three-dimensional chess situation here. The minute Jerome Powell starts making his next moves. Yeah. And this is an intentional pause. But I said it on another show, and it's not just me. It's from a number of sources. We will continue to see other banks go under this year. That's number one. We're going to see other banks get purchased by the remaining large banks. That kind of goes to some of the content I covered today. We're going to see this conflict meted out both in the economic realm and in the geopolitical realm. Now, if if they can pull the fuse, if they can hit the, the pressure valve on Taiwan, uh, outside of that, the only other place I could think of somebody trying to start a war would be Iran again. Yeah, that's off the table. I think that, look, what's going to happen is this. And 10 a.m. this morning, I had a call and I was talking to one of my guys. And um, basically what it's looking like at this point is um, Shanghai. There's about 100,000 Americans that are in Taiwan. There's flights that are already leaving out. Uh, one of the guy, the guy that I was talking to, he's connected to a very prominent Taiwanese family. Um, their sons right now are uh, both have tickets, and they're right now in France. Uh, they don't want they, they have an option of of of, of swapping because they have diplomatic ties. They have options of swapping to an American passport. Uh, they don't want to do that because, and this is what I was told that they're going to come back once the dust settles. So there's going to be a transfer that that is going to take place. Um, the other details go into um, the, uh, uh, the 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 military aspect of it. Um, My, Mark Miley uh, is in, in is also in, in communications with a with a transfer of power there. There's a few other details that I'm going to have written down, um, and I'll you know say it here. Uh, the financial there's going to be a lot of there's some financial market news that that ties in uh, uh, you know d- directly with the whole Taiwan situation. Uh, that I'm going to probably share first over at uh, Algo Factory on Thursday because Thursday we have uh, Platano or Plomo. <laughs> it's Platano Plomo <laughs> Thursday. <laughs> Plantains or lead, but um, and after that I'll share it over here. Uh, because it is important to know. It is uh, uh, definitely important uh, to know. Uh, but uh, 
there are sources within uh, China that have been told already, and and in Taiwan as well, that uh, uh, there's some things surrounding the Biden crime family that's going to be coming out. And also, last but not least, excuse for the sound in the back. I have some contractors doing some work. Uh, they're building a new treehouse for me. Um, <laughs> the, um, the 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 uh, they don't see the Biden administration lasting the next eighteen months. That that's that's the god honest truth. So. Brace yourself. Take it all with a grain of salt. These are all event-driven, and um, you know it's going to be fun for winter. Well, and the the oldest rule in Washington that I was told on numerous occasions, folks, is when you're not hearing anything about something that you know is going on, it means decisions are being made. People are sitting in rooms with no windows, making making decisions, and I would say that. When we, to V's point, when we have as little current, uh, as V is fond of saying, reading other people's email, um, when we have as little new data on global economics, the situation in Taiwan, the situation in Ukraine, uh, one of the ones I've raised on this show a couple of times, the, the almost near collapse of South Africa. And we also have some, some new, uh, interesting sadly, things going on in Bolivia and Peru and Chile again uh, around commodities. Um, definitely some decisions are being made. And I think also because of this known situation we're in with Jerome Powell kind of taking a breather for a minute for about 30 days, um, folks folks are, are sharpening up their, their farm implements to see where this goes next. But yeah, it will be very it will be very interesting to see what happens in Taiwan. I've shared with all of you that most of the private executives I've worked with, they always have these private security firms. Sometimes the firms will show up and say, hey, uh, there's no reason why you're going to know why we're telling you this. But, you know, by this Friday, it'd probably be good if we got you and your family out of here. Uh, the more startling outcome is when they just show up in the middle of a meeting and just look at everybody in the room and go, now we're leaving. You have no time for your luggage. And it's like, well, everything looks fine. I see taxi cabs out on the road. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, get in the get in the plane. Get in the plane. <laughs> We're yeah, leaving uh, right now. My guy told me this morning it's, it was similar to how it was in Vietnam where the French landowners who are wealthy and well-to-do, they were just like sitting around. They're like, everything's fine. The buses are running on time. And uh, next thing you know, the, North, the Viet Cong was coming through the, the right, right on down and uh, their farmlands are being taken from them. You know? Right. <laughs> just... The French were too late, just too late. Do we have uh, Harley up next? I don't. I don't think so. I think. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, I haven't heard back. Uh, emailed them, so I guess not. Not today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe either Monday or or next Friday. Gotcha. Okay. All right. We will well, see. Yeah, we'll see all of you next week on various other rogue programs, and I am planning on being back on the twenty third. Uh, next week friday so fantastic I'll see you all then looking forward to it folks thank you all for listening in and have a great weekend make sure you subscribe to the channel please there's about 60 percent of people that watch this that do not subscribe so please subscribe it's very important and hit us with a thumbs up that being said yes. we're over now cheers